This is the sixth and final episode of The Nobody Zone. You'll need to have heard the first five episodes before you hear this one. Who did you murder or are you a spy? I'm just fond of a drink, helps me laugh, helps me cry. No, but just drink red biddy for a permanent tie. I laugh a lot less, I cry till I die. At the end of the last episode, after following Kieran Kelly's life all the way from 1953 until he was put in prison for life in 1984, we left you with a story about finding bones in a garden back in 1993, what appeared to be a decomposed skeleton. The garden belonged to a house where Kieran Patrick Kelly had once lived the house in which he was born. That house is in the small town of Rathdowney in County Leash in the Midlands of Ireland. It was during the early stages of Robert Mulhern's research into the Kieran Kelly story that he first paid a visit to Rathdowney. This was back in the summer of 2016. Rob arrived in Rathdowney with an appointment to meet up with a local historian, Michael Cray. But he had a little time to kill before Michael was due to arrive and pick him up, so he decided to take a look around town. It's really quiet. Old houses, an old square in the town with a, only a couple of people really walking around. Rathdowney's a small, quiet provincial town, so a major news story the whole London underground serial killer story which hit the headlines in 2015, in which Jeff Platt said that Kieran Kelly had come from here, a story like that didn't go unnoticed. How are you doing? I'm down here today. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm recording on a, a documentary about this chap. Rob tries his luck with the first person he runs into on the street. Oh, the London underground serial killer. Yeah, who'd know about that now? Which is good. Um, I heard about what going on, all right. He's all in the paper there about serial killer, yeah. Because he's from here. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Kieran Patrick Kelly. That's right, you're dead right, yeah. You're dead right. Went to London and is accused of committing multiple murders. That's right, you're dead right, you're dead right, yeah. Did you get a shock when you read about it in the paper Oh, God, I did, yeah. But then somebody said it was an ELI, I don't know. So straight away, the story means something. Kelly's name means something to him but it's kind of vague but he knows it's important and he's thinking hard about who might know something and he points at a pub at the bottom of the square a place called O'Malley's I'd say if you go into O'Malley's there your man it, it might be put something to it for you you know you bring me in will you I will I will of course what's your name was Rob Mulhern Rob from Mulhern. RTE oh, right. okay. no it's a summer's day the door is wedged open and he brings me down but when we get down to the door he says, listen, you stand there and wait till I go down and speak to the owner. We can kind of overhear. And the guy says, there's a reporter here. He wants to speak about Kieran Kelly. Small towns, as anyone who's ever lived in one can tell you, have a way of keeping and spreading stories that bigger towns and cities just can't compete with. Luckily, 
Rathdowney is a very friendly place by nature. After a couple of minutes of chatting, he calls me down. There was a lot of way stories in that story to Would it have been a topic of conversation Absolutely. in the pubs and stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. Really? Yeah, yeah. everyone was stunned. Yeah. 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 Serial killer from Rathdowney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there was, I was talked about around the bar there for weeks. Yeah. The lads were relating about his, his actual family. People remember the snippets of it and where they lived and wild stories all happened up around there and that sort of a thing. There was a history there. But After a good conversation at O'Malley's pub, it's time for Rob to meet local historian Michael Cray. Hey Michael, how are you doing? So we get into Michael Cray's car and we have a bit of chit-chat about the Kelly story and straight away he tells me I'm going to bring you out the Ballybuggy Road to a man called Nicky Marr. We'll go up to Nicky Marr now first. Nicky Marr lives in a house built on the property where Kelly was born. Kelly was born in that house on March the 16th, 1930. The house is just out of town on the Ballybuggy Road. Just as they're on their way, Michael Cray recalls another man living nearby who might also have something useful to say about Kelly. There's a guy that just lives on a terraced cottage house in the corner called Mark Whelan. And he says, I reckon Mark's of a certain age, that he, he probably knows something about Kelly. He might have even known him. So he says, let's pull in here and we'll call in to Mark. <laughs> This man's name is Rob. Nice to meet you. Rob. Oh, Rob. How are you doing? Meet you, Rob. Mark. Catching you with the blue, aren't they? That's all right. I've so, nothing to do with it. Mark Whelan did know Kieran Kelly. He knew the whole Kelly family way back in the 1930s. I knew his father. Martin Kelly was his name. Was his father's name. Was his father's name. They lived up there in where Nicky Marr lives, yeah. in that house. Yeah. And he had a sister, mm. and uh, I, knew, I knew the whole family. Yeah. What age would you have been then, Mark, when Kelly's, when the Kellys were here and you knew Kieran and you were around that time? Probably, what, 9, 10 or 11. I, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm 89 now, so I can't remember how many years ago, is it? <laughs> but mm. I used to play around with the, play with the children, you know, in the yeah. streets. Yeah. In the last episode, we had a good look at a lot of old records, including many relating to the Kelly family. Kelly's father had been a policeman in Dublin when he married Kelly's mother back in 1924. But by the time their first child, Kieran, was born, his father is noted as an insurance agent on Kieran's birth certificate. But by the time their last child is born in 1934, they had three altogether, Kelly's father's occupation is given as a labourer. So Kelly's father's career seems to have headed down rather than up over the years. And the Kellys were by no means well off. Mark Whelan and the Kelly children had played together and he does remember that Kelly's sister had some unusual games she liked to play back then. I, I always remember it was in the springtime and the girl, she was a real, a real tear away. Hmm. She used to go to the bird's nesting Killed the, killed the young ones. And oh, no. She had also had to carry the penknife and stick the heads off. Yeah, I thought she was very cruel at the time. But yeah. that's, that's the truth. That was but, one of the games you played. <laughs> oh, that's the, only, well, that's the only game, yes. Children can be cruel. 
and Kelly's sister had liked to take baby birds from their nests and kill them with a penknife. Do you remember what? Do you remember what became of the parents, Martin yeah, Kelly? Yes, disappeared suddenly off the scene and gone to Dublin somewhere after, whether it was Dublin or not, but that was a rumour that was going around then. The rumours were true. We know that the Kellys left Rathdowney in 1937. People said they left suddenly, and nobody knew the reason why. We know that they moved to Dublin and never came back. Listen, that's, that's great. It's another bit of the jigsaw, anyway. Yeah. Is it any good to you? No, I no don't it is. Know. It is, Mark. I'll put the chair back now, Mark. The next stop for Rob and Michael Cray is Nicky Ma's house. Nicky Ma stood in the garden when we arrived there. And Nicky, just before we go down to the house, can you just describe the scene of this area here now? Because this is obviously where Kelly would have grown up. So right, just to get yeah. a sense now of, yeah. of, what, uh, of what we're looking at well, here. When I lived here, the only houses were here. It was that one there and that one there. There was no houses over there. And the nearest house to us then was um, that farmhouse up there. That was when I was a young lad. And of course, outside toilet, no running water. The bath we brought in in front of the fire. Mm-hmm. Big tin bath and filled and everyone watched. <laughs> yeah. When Kieran Kelly's family left Rathdowney back in 1937, Nicky Ma's father bought the house. Nicky was just three years old when he moved into the Kelly house in 1938. Well, this is a part of his garden. This was the one field, that house there, that's my son's house. I built this one, and then I built the house for my son. That was our old house there. That's where Kelly lives. The famous Kelly. Do you come in? Nicky built the house he lives in now back in 1984. I was building this house in 1984. Nicky can talk, and he's a good memory, and he goes on telling stories about how a neighbour of his across the road, a guy by the name of Ned Carney, Ned's sister Daisy lived in England and of course Daisy bumped into Kelly at one point in her life. An old Ned across the road came over to me and he says his sister Daisy knew him when he was young lad because they were neighbours. Nicky Ma's too young to remember Kelly but his neighbour Ned does remember the family and Ned's sister Daisy met Kelly in London. And she, she went, uh, she emigrated in about... Um, the early 50, early, the late 40s, yeah, 48 or 9 or something like that, she went off to England. And she met your man again in London. And she knew him there, and she knew all his friends that he had there. And apparently he used to get into trouble a good bit, according to Ned. He was, the cops knew him fairly well for drunkenness and stealing and all that kind of thing. Well, he said, Daisy used to write to us and tell us about Kelly. And she used to come home every summer. And she'd tell us she'd have all the stories about Kelly for us. And that's when they knew about it. So Kelly, Kelly was first brought to your attention by, by Daisy. By Ned across the road. Daisy brought told Ned about it. And no one else, I never heard of it. Did you hear about it before? I'd never heard of no. it until I saw it in the press. That's right, yeah. In the media. Most people are the same. I've said before that when Kieran Kelly was sent to prison in 1984, it went completely unnoticed. Well, we found that that's not strictly true. We've dug up one news article that mentions his conviction. It made page 11 of the Evening Herald in 1984. The headline reads, Irish Tramp Gets Double Life Sentence. Under the headline it says, Kieran Kelly, an Irish-born tramp, received his second life sentence for the killing of William Boyd in a cell at Clapham Police Station. 
A little further down, there's a quote from the judge that says, This conviction confirms that, and the view of the consultant psychiatrist, that you are incorrigible in penal terms and incurable in medical terms. At the bottom of this short article, which is only two short columns, it goes on to say, what the jury was not told was that Kelly had, quote, confessed, close quotes, to a string of killings going back to 1953. But because of Kelly's hazy memory and the difficulty of producing evidence, no charges were brought. The story just wasn't all that newsworthy in 1984. Page 11. To put it in some perspective, the story is underneath another article about a young woman who married her fortune teller. Teresa's romance shone in the stars. That article has a bigger headline and a picture. There's no picture on the Kelly article, and there's no mention of Rath Downey either. But still, the story did filter through to Nicky Ma. So what year would this have been that Ned came across the road yeah, to say this year? It was said to be 84. 84 or 5, because I was building here. I was, <clears throat> I was building in my spare time, and I probably started in 83 and I finished in 85. We get up to about an hour and a half of recording and I think we've gotten through everything and and he paused for a minute and he said did I tell you about the bones in the garden and I said no you didn't tell me about the bones in the garden the next time I thought about him was in 1993 when we were building Nick's house next door yeah and we were digging a trench for a water pipe and we found bones in the hedge right they're pulling out these different bones and then they find what they say is looks like the remains of a skull. Was, um, there was a good few bones in there. But the main one that we looked at was the the, um, the skull and that was left of the skull and the neck and the noose around it. You know, that's what we thought. Was. So they say it's like the remains of a skull, like part of a skull with a wire noose around the neck. Bull wire they described it as, which is like a, a kind of thick wire. So as I saw the bones and this... A neck with a noose around it, with a wire noose around it, you know, and a skull, you know. An unexplained set of possibly human remains in the childhood garden of a man who'd become a serial killer. Nicky Ma thought it was a good idea to call the police. And the police came to have a look. The guards told me to stand clear while they were conducting their inquiry or whatever, you know, so we stood back. But I stood near enough to hear what they were talking about just to say. <laughs> But they said, we better um, pack him up and take him with us and friends, you know, this kind of thing. So I went over and I says, um, what's the result, lads? That's ah, only a donkey, he says. <laughs> well, Jesus, I said, it's a small donkey. <laughs> a donkey says you want about six foot for a hole. This is only a, a small thing, mm. about four foot diameter, and the bones were all down it, you know. Mm. So they took it, and I was telling them about the killer that lived next door, like the story about him, and they had never heard of it either. And then once at the other usher, whoever did this, anyhow, he'd be dead himself long before now. Before they do anything with the bones, they call the local doctor and ask him to drop by to have a look. And a doctor came. Now, the doctor said he, th- he said he thought they were human remains, right? Mm. And, and you, do you reckon it was an animal that oh, you found I there? I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. And young Nick was with me as well. I mean, it was only a small neck. Mm. And the head was fairly well 
rotten all right, you know, so but still. That would be a noose around a the noose or an, I'm sure me and a donkey would have a big neck, like. Yeah. But this a trapped animal like a fox or something that would be caught in a snare, God forbid, would, would be strangled. Oh, but no, for no, to strangle no, this, a, was a, this was a heavy, heavy foster snare, I can tell you. Mm-hmm. It was a heavy piece of, of, of wire, like bull wire, that kind of thing, you know. But was it a human skull? Well, I thought it was. The, the doctor thought it was, but the guards weren't really interested. That's simple as that now. And off they went. And that's the last we heard from Nicky Ma remembers the day very well. He says that the police, the guards, came and took the bones away. He also says there was a doctor present at the time who also identified the bones as human. Luckily, Rath Downey being a small town means that the doctor lives just a few minutes away. So Rob, Michael Cray and Nicky Ma meet up with him outside the house. His name is Niall Otahoti. What was your recollection of it, Niall? Well, my recollection is vague at the moment, but, but uh, certainly a lot of people would have dug up bones uh, from time to time, and uh, any time I ever went to bones, you know, it never came to anything. But, I mean, I wasn't going to just pass it off, and, uh, you know, you never know when, when one of them could be genuine. 1993 is a long time ago now, and Niall Doherty's recollection is a little bit vague. But he does remember the event. He's maybe just not quite as convinced as Nicky Ma that the bones were definitely human. He's more inclined to say they were potentially human. And that's what he said to the police at the time. But I mean, I wasn't prepared to convince myself to saying it's not human. Let the, let the legal boys work that out. Anyway. Great, Great to meet you now. After the police took away the bones, no one ever heard back from them again. Nicky Ma forgot about it until 2015 when the story came back up. But he didn't really have anyone to tell about it until Rob came by. Once memories have been jogged, another curious detail pops up. Nicky Ma has a sister called Agnes, and she worked in the local shop. He remembers her telling him that she once got chatting to a woman who was visiting the town. I've just had an aisle there about a woman called to the shops here and my sister was working in there and said, where are you from, Rat Downey? And I said, I am. And she said, I live in Rat Downey too. I said, where did you live? She said, there's a house there just inside the gate. And Agnes said, is your name Kelly? She says, yes. She lived in that house. And she said, she brought her mother back every year to look at the house. So it was... Possibly Kieran Kelly's sister. I, I assumed it was his sister. I would think yeah. so, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she said her mother came to look at the house, or her mother must be Kieran Kelly's mother. Which is, her mother came here, brought her every year, and, and Agnes said to her, Would you not call in? No, she said, She'd never call in. He came, I looked at it, turned the car, and we went away again. It's certainly an odd picture Kelly's mother and sister sitting in a car parked outside the old house. I don't know exactly what we're trying to prove here, and we should probably be careful about getting carried away. But it's certainly a mystery, the discovery of potentially human bones on the property where the Kelly family had lived. Maybe a small skeleton with a wire noose around the neck. We heard about Kelly's sister enjoying being cruel to birds, and of course Kelly... Her older brother grew up to be a serial killer. We know that the family left town suddenly in 1937. 
and we know that Kelly's mother and sister come back and sit outside the house but never want to come inside. Nikki Ma says that this happened many times over many years. That was strange. The, the mother kept coming back and looking at the house and turning and going away again, you know, for years, you know. So, um, I don't know. It was like someone visiting a grave. So. so in 2016, after talking to Nicky Ma, Rob and the team contacted the Irish police to see if they had any records of what had happened to the bones once they'd been removed, to see if there was a police report or if any conclusions had been drawn from the analysis. It would take a great many phone calls and emails before the police finally got back. Actually, we wouldn't get a definitive answer until 2020. So in the meantime, we decided it would be a good idea to investigate for ourselves. Late in 2019, Rob returned to Rathdowney with a professional surveyor. His name is Bryce LeCompte. He's a senior geophysicist who specializes in ground-penetrating radar, a ground scanner. If there's something to be found underneath the surface, he's the man to find it. He searches for disturbed soil. Essentially, you can find a place where someone has dug or buried something before, even if it was hundreds of years ago. As the survey's about to begin, Nicky Ma is there to keep an eye on proceedings. Okay. Yeah. And that was the main road. So, there's a French guy, Bryce. He is a ground scanner. I meet him down in Rat Downey and we start scanning Nicky Mars' garden. And it wasn't that deep down, Nick, sure wasn't it? No, I was, it was about, probably, we hit the, hit the bones about three feet down, I suppose. Something like that, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't really deep, no. It wasn't like an ordinary grave, like what was. So we're half an hour into the scan with Bryce. And next thing, this piece of equipment that he has, it's over the area that Nicky Marr says he found the bones. And he starts talking about something that he hadn't mentioned the first time around. And there was no plastic or uh, clothing or... One shoe. One shoe? One shoe, yeah. All right, so yeah. that changed quite a lot. Uh... Actually, I never knew there was a shoe there. No, 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 we never... Oh, so that, 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 that put the donkey hypothesis... Nah, no, no donkey. I've never seen a no donkey, donkey with a shoe. No, 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 no. <laughs> I did, but not that kind of shoe. <laughs> But, but that, you know what makes that interesting? Because I would have thought in the years since it might have been like if this was an old rat or it could have been an ancient, a body from famine times or ancient times. But the sunset when last I wondered what the guards do with the shoe as well as the bones, you know? So, so, yeah. Yeah. And was, like, was the shoe kind of badly decomposed? Yeah, it Did it have yeah, kind of rubber? Yeah, we just talked about it last night. Yeah, it was um, a leather shoe that was sort of... Well, it wasn't in the right condition. What was the shoe? Agile size or...? Size of shoe. Small? Oh, God. No, no, I can't. I don't know that now. It, wouldn't be, it wasn't a very big shoe, I know, anyhow. Well, we saw this little shoe. Yeah, we did say little shoe, yeah, so it was a small shoe, yeah. I never knew that about the shoe. Oh, dear. Oh, no. That's amazing, now. The survey showed a promising feature, a six-foot-long pit in the area where the bones were found. So the next step was to just dig it up. But if this is the potential site of a crime, and if these bones are human, you can't just dig it up yourself. You need to get the professionals in. So in February 2020, Rob 
returned to Rathdowney one last time. And this time he brought a small team of archaeologists. My name is Kuyuni Tobin and I'm an uh, osteoarchaeologist. Uh, that means I analyse human remains, uh, specifically skeletal remains. Bearing in mind that this is possibly a grave site, it needs to be treated with proper respect. Like it was a skull you found, is it? Was it just a skull? Or? A skull and a neck. A noose around the neck. And there was nothing and else? And some bones and a, a shoe. And a shoe, that was it. That's it. Yeah. Did it look like... Do you remember, did it look like the the bones were kind of mixed up or did it look like they were kind of in place as they would have been? Do you remember? Well, they were all in a bunch together, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. neck and the head bones were all joined. But are there any other animals that could present like that? Not the skull. Not if it's the skull you're dealing with. Um, long bones, absolutely. It's very easy for people to think that long bone looks like it could be human and invariably it's not. But a skull, is it's, it's very... Um, diagnostic I suppose you know it's very identifiable and it's you know the image is, is everywhere really and so people just recognize it so it is I mean we don't have long snouts our teeth don't you know protrude protrude down over after removing the topsoil the dig gets underway and it was just the two guardy that came out to they just picked them all up put them in a bag and off they went there was two young guardy in a, in a, in a plane then so, so he went away fairly quickly okay I think he called as I mentioned just now, we did get a reply from the Irish police. An official reply to our request for information. The statement was concise and firmly asserted that there exists absolutely no record of this event on file with them. The same goes for the state pathologist office and the coroner. The statement says also that this is consistent with cases where nothing was found to be suspicious. For example, no records would be kept if the finds had turned out to be animal bones. The only existing connection to the event back then is an oral account given by one of the guards who was actually there on the day. He stated that the bones were sent for analysis as was normal procedure. But no report ever came back and no further action was required at the time. This means that whatever was taken away that day no longer exists in evidence and it would have been destroyed. But Nicky Ma is still confident that he knows what he saw back then. Small skull and a small neck and the, the noose around it. Wire noose around it, yeah. Well, to me it looked like a neck and sure, you know, yeah. I mean, the police said it was that donkey, but Jesus. Put the bones in the bags and off the end. We never saw them again. Yeah. The only possibility to prove it is if there's something still to discover under the ground. Yeah, it's not substantial. No. We won't say definite, but we'll, it is looking that way. I'm like, that's, that's quite uniform now. Yeah. You know, so like the, indica the indications would be that that's, from there on, that's undisturbed natural soil. After a long and chilly day digging, the archaeologists get down to the bottom, to the natural soil. It's another way of saying that we dug out the whole feature that the survey had found, as close as we possibly could get to the spot where the police had removed bones back in 1993, and we found nothing there. An anticlimax, of course, but then you could say this is a good metaphor for everything that's happened along the way during this story. Everything that happens whenever we try to find proof and a simple truth to the Kelly case. After all the hard work, 
Sometimes we're just left looking at a pile of dirt and an empty hole in the ground where something used to be. Our whole story has been all about something that happened in a place we've called Nobody's Own. A place where people went to and never came back. Kieran Kelly may have been born here in Ireland, but he ended up homeless in London. And he was by no means the only one. He's also by no means the only man from Rathdowney who took the ferry to England. Many of the men Rob has been talking to in Rathdowney also worked in London at some point. Nicky Ma once worked there, Mark Whelan. Both of them actually worked on the London Underground. Nicky's neighbour, Ned, had worked in London. His sister, Daisy, had also gone away to England. It's something that struck Rob while he was looking into that empty hole in Nicky's garden. That day in Rathdowney, when I was looking into the hole, I couldn't help think of Nicky Marr and Mark Whelan, Ned, his neighbour. The three of them worked in London. His sister, Daisy, she worked in London. And this small village, all these people left to get a step up in London, like my own town. Every house had somebody in London. And we all knew the story of the Irish in London who fell between the cracks. It's a story of people being vulnerable when they emigrate, not quite making it, falling down and falling into a really dark place. We knew that bit, the bit that I never knew or never conceived or never even thought about was that there was another Irish person who left Ireland like all those other people to get on too, obviously, but went the opposite way and ended up in that dark space that, that's been termed a nobody's own and was killing people, was killing his countrymen who left like him to get on. Finding nothing in Rathdowney doesn't change anything about the fact that Kieran Kelly is still the most prolific serial killer in Irish history. If we believe Kelly's own confession, of course. The man he confessed to, Ian Brown, called Rob up after hearing the podcast go out. Hearing Kieran Kelly's voice again on the tapes, 37 years after he made them, had brought the whole Kelly investigation flooding back to him. So Rob dropped by to hear if Ian had any final thoughts on the subject. Hello, Ian. How are you? Very well. You still have the same car? Five years later, yeah. It's strange, actually, because I hadn't thought about Kelly for years and years until that book came out. It's all I seem to do now is think about all the things that happened with Kelly in the police station. It's, uh, it's crazy. But are you saying that listening to this series has, has put Kelly on your, on your mind again for the first time in years? Yeah, well, not only this podcast, but everything that we've done on it. I mean, um, you know, from the time we met... Um, it's been Kelly and as you say that's five years and uh, that's a big big chunk Um. one last question is why why wasn't Kelly prosecuted for more of his crimes why did nobody seem to care why did he disappear so easily why didn't Kelly make the headlines are you sorry you didn't go after like 
try and stand up some of the other ones that you felt were certainties in the case or would you have done anything different in relation to the investigation? It's not my decision. I, You say, would I have gone after the others? No, I've gone after them. I've presented... See, once, once I put my papers in, all these statements and everything else and charges that we could bring against Kelly or couldn't, it's no longer my decision. It becomes the decision of the authorities, of the solicitor in charge of the case that has taken over the case. And he says, right, we'll go with this and this and we'll leave the rest for the time being. It's no longer my decision. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to go back to the actual time. I mean, we are, we are sitting here today some 30 years later talking about crimes that were committed when there were no computers. Everything was legwork. You know, we didn't have a car each. There was one CID car for 15 detectives. No mobile phones. The police forces weren't joined up. You're not going to go national or on something like this. And, you know, you asked me something else about why was it never in the papers? The whole media thing has changed. We didn't tout murders. We didn't go to the press and say, oh, we've got this. The local reporter came down once a week and said, oh, Sarge, you got anything for me? That was the sum total of reporting in those days. And so it never got in the press. 30 years later, we're looking at the brain we have now, not the brain that was working all those years ago. And we're also trying to understand the workings of a madman, of a, uh, somebody who's insane by using sane logic. And it doesn't work. It will all, Kelly will always be a mystery. We know a lot, but there's an awful lot we'll never, ever know. Since 2015, and the book that started a worldwide media story that brought Kieran Kelly's name into the light, there's been a lot of dust kicked up on a number of long-forgotten and unsolved cases. These are cases involving violent assaults on public transport, cases of suspicious and inexplicable deaths on the London Underground. Every time we've looked into any of these, we found nothing we could prove, no evidence at all. If there ever was any evidence, it had been lost decades ago, and the only man who might have been able to give the answers was Kieran Kelly himself. When the archaeology team packed up in Rathdowney, they filled the hole back in, planted some grass seed over the top so it'll blend back in with the rest of Nicky Ma's garden. The old Kelly property, the place where Kieran Kelly was born and where he once played as a child, on the edge of a small town in the Midlands of Ireland. Kelly's life began there, but it ended in England. Kieran Kelly died in prison. He died in Frankland Prison in Durham at the age of 71, back in 2001. Even on Kieran Kelly's death certificate, which is the only documentation left from the last 17 years of his life, which he spent in jail, 
Even on that, there are errors, mistakes. There's still mess and confusion. The death certificate says Kieran Kelly was born on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, in 1930. But he wasn't. He was born the day before that, March 16th. And it says he was born in Dublin. But he wasn't. He was born in Rathdowney. You could say that Kieran Kelly lived to a ripe old age, 71. Officially, he was only ever found guilty of killing two people. Even if he did confess, there is nothing official, nothing at all, that says he was guilty of the murder of maybe a dozen other men. People that nobody missed, who nobody cared about. All of them occupants of the nobody's own. We've been absolutely fair with you, haven't we? Yes, I have no complaints whatsoever. I'll be honest now, and that, that, that is it, honest. These were fair. I'm not going grab into your stone. I'm not going. These are fair and square. Kelly, have you done anything else you want to tell us about? I forget now, honestly. Is there that many, Kelly? There is, boss, but it's, I'm, I'm doing them. My brain is just been mitered. I don't murder, I don't mean murdered, but mitered. But by alcohol? Yeah. And I go with the old team. You haven't had a drink for a few days now. I, I, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Now, when you've had a drink, you, you don't give, give a damn what you do. Yeah. All you young people now take my advice for crossing the ocean you'd better think twice Cause you can't live without love without love alone The proof's round the west end in the nobody's home But the summer is fine but the winter's a fridge Wrapped up in old cardboard in the Charing Cross Bridge Never go home now because of the shame of a misfit's reflection in a shop window pane. Oh, I miss you. I'd give all for the price. Nobody's Own is written and narrated by Tim Hinman. Storyline and production is by Tim Hinman and Christopher Molson. Original idea, research, and recordings are by Robert Mulhern. Ronan Kelly and Liam O'Brien, with production assistance from Sarah Blake, Donal O'Hurley, Tim Desmond, Nicklin Greer and Michael Lawless. The title music is the song Missing You, performed by Christy Moore. Original music for the series is by Tim Hinman. Graphics, marketing and press by John Kilkenny, Laura Beatty, Amy O'Driscoll, Nigel Wheatley, Frederick Neilbo, Jilly McDonough, Ellen Leonard, Bren Murphy and Anna Joyce. Illustrations by Alex Williamson. The Nobody Zone is a collaboration between RTE's documentary on one in Ireland and Third Year Productions in Denmark. If you wish to join the social media conversation around this podcast, please use hashtag The Nobody Zone or visit rte.ie forward slash The Nobody Zone. And if you'd like to comment or share any information you might have on the story, we'd love to hear from you. 
email us documentaries at rte.ie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>